Swim check one, two. Bike check one, two. Run check one, two. I think we're ready. Let's try this. Welcome to the Try Beginner's Luck podcast, a podcast where we explore the sport of triathlon from a variety of perspectives to help beginner triathletes on their journey. I am your host, Nashonda Shines. Welcome to another episode of Try Beginner's Luck. I have the man, the myth, and the legend, the CEO of USA Triathlon with me today, Mr. Rocky Harris. And I am excited for us to kind of get down and dirty about what it is to be the governing body of this sport. Because to be honest, do we really know what USA Triathlon does? Well, we're going to find out today. Rocky Harris, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Excited to be here. Appreciate you. Yeah. So, I um, had an opportunity to kind of do some research on you, and I see that you've been in sports for a long time. Like, this is a passion of yours. Can you tell me a little bit about your sports background? Yeah, so, you know, I, I, I have been in sports for quite a long time, and I think I, I just grew up in sports. My dad was a high school football coach, and my mom was uh, in the media. She was a, an art, the art director at the Arizona Republic. So I kind of had this media and sport background, but back then they didn't have like, the business of sport was pretty immature. So I, I thought I was gonna be a coach and my dad said, well, why don't you think about going into the business of sport? Cause it's gonna be a lot of growth over the future. And I was kind of like, I don't even know what that means. So I remember I went to the library cause you know, that's, that's what you did back then. Mm-hmm. And I started researching like jobs in sports, jobs in entertainment. And they're really, it was like coaches and general managers, but not much on the business side. So I just decided at that point, I'm going to commit to working in the business of sport. And so fortunate enough to, to work at, you know, the 49ers and the Texans and corporate America overseeing sports sponsorships and, and the Houston Dynamo Major League Soccer, which I just loved, and college athletics. And now at, at, at the governing body here at USA Triathlon. So been around a lot, but it was mostly just a, really my upbringing and seeing how much sport impacted me and my dad was a coach at an inner city high school and just seeing how he was like, became the father figure for a lot of people and a lot like really brought the community together. Sport was like one of the things that it didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter how much money you had. It was like this common denominator that we could all relate on. And so I always just saw the importance of sport. And so my passion is actually not sport business anymore. It's the impact of sport on society. Mm. And, and that's really what motivates me and why I decided to take the, the plunge to USA Triathlon, the governing body. And just to take a quick step back, you know, I went from pro sports, which is all about monetizing and making money and doing all this for um, the owner, like a billionaire owner. And then, you know, I went to corporate America. And then when I went to college athletics, I really, that's when it really opened my eyes. I started saying, man, there's these 600 student athletes and you know I get to work with them during the most really time in their life where they're the most impressionable where they can actually make make decisions and you can impact their life and then I started seeing these student athletes graduating and going out in communities and making a big difference and then college athletics I just saw how like the whole community rallies around the team and it's like this community activation through sport where again people from all backgrounds can come together and that's what really inspired me to, to work at USA Triathlon is I saw me going from a regional position in college athletics where I could impact a local community to impacting an entire country and, and, the, and the health and well-being of a country and really the confidence and competitive nature and all the good things that our sport does. And I actually started, I'm, I'm near the end of my PhD in community resources and development with a focus on 
how to utilize sport to impact society. So while I started more and wanted to be a coach, then I went to like business. It's really more about impact. And that's why I'm at a nonprofit now. Wow. I saw that in that you teach some graduate courses. I said, what does this man do? Like you are truly the epitome of amazing. Yeah, I, I love, I love uh, people and I love kids and um, being a teacher, my mom, my dad and mom were both teachers. I just mm-hmm. saw how, how much, again, of an, an impact you can make on people who are really uh, thriving to learn and be better and improve themselves. Yeah. And so that's for me what, it, so it's fun for me, right? Like I, I enjoy, so I have to do things. My job's fun. My family's fun. Triathlon's fun. I, I want to have fun in life and I want to do what I enjoy. And so it's not always an easy road to get there. Like I didn't just become a professor. I didn't just become the CEO of USA Triathlon. There was a lot of steps in between, but I feel really lucky that, you know, I wake up every day really doing what I feel like I'm best at doing. And, and so, yeah, when it comes to, to teaching, um, you know, and I think about this in general, I think everyone who cares about the future of, of sport or about, you know, whatever it is, um, the best thing you can do is give back uh, to some, the next grouping. And I, I know I wouldn't be where I am. I mean, I had no connections. I had no relationships. I didn't have a dad who got me a job. Um, I had to work my way there, but I didn't do it on my own. I had a bunch of people lifting me up and like looking down and saying, well, there's this kid who's hungry. He's willing to do whatever it takes. I'm going to help him. And so now I really feel obligated to do the same thing. And actually now when I think about what makes me happiest, it's seeing people succeed, whether it's our elite athletes at the games, where an age grouper racing their first race, an employee who got their dream job, um, a student of mine who I had an epiphany in the middle of a class and they decided to change their career life. Um, those things are really what move me now. Yeah. It's so funny you mentioned fun. You have fun at your job. You have fun with your family. Yesterday during our like pre-production meeting, we, uh, we were, Maria and I were talking and I was like, he seems like a very A-type person but I really believe he has a lot of fun. And I'm like, yes, I got it right that you love to have fun. Speaking of fun, you gave me your history about your family, uh, you growing up in sports, but I don't recall you saying if you played sports and if so, which sports did you play? Yeah, so I was more uh, you know, of a traditional American uh, athlete where I grew up playing football, um, grew up playing, uh, well, in high school, I grew up playing every sport, like a lot of kids did back then when, you know, you had like PE every day and like everyone was doing sports all the time. Um, but now now it's not quite like that. So yeah, mostly my, my best sports were football, wrestling, soccer, track. Um, I played every sport though, but those are my high school sports. And um, I was all, you know, it did pretty well in football and did pretty well in soccer. The other sports I did is cross training. For me, you know, I was always very competitive person. Just that's just my nature. Um, I, you know, loved, I loved wrestling because it was one on one and like it was me against somebody else. There was no excuses. When I got older and I played rugby in college, um, a, a collegiate club rugby. Um, so it wasn't NCAA and just love being around sport. And what I found was there was a real gap in my life when I left, when I left college and didn't have, I couldn't participate in sporting. I was working too much, quite frankly. Right. So I started um, just, you know, exercising like anyone else. I lifted weights every day because my dad was a weight room coach. Um, and so I'd always lift weights, but I was just kind of, I didn't really find my purpose. And mm-hmm. when it comes to athlete, you know, my athlete, my adult athletic uh, dreams, and then when I was uh, in my late 20s, I went to Belize with my wife and got bit by a bug. 
and I got an infectious disease that made it so for a year I couldn't lift weight. I couldn't lift my arms over my head. It was very hard. So I couldn't work out. I couldn't really do anything. And I had gotten into cycling a few years before that with my wife. She got me into cycling. So I was doing long distance cycling. And then all of a sudden I went to not being able to do anything, including which still uh, surprises me. I didn't drink a beer for a year because even beer messed with me. So it was just like, so what happened when I came, when I started feeling better and getting over that, Mm -hmm. um, I started looking for what's next. And and my what's next was something I wanted to be a, a really big challenge. And I wanted to do something that, that would challenge me to be a good athlete and also challenge me to do something I was scared of. And so I was Googling like, you know, endurance events, like crazy, st- like all this and triathlon just kept popping up, kept popping up. And I kind of knew about it because I was a cyclist. Um, and then I looked into it and I was like, oh, that's for me right there. Like, that's a challenge. And so I jumped into triathlon and I've been doing triathlons for about a decade now and just fell in love um, and fell in love with the community too. And I think that's part of what motivated me to take this job is I saw the sport that was very community focused and very welcoming, but it wasn't as uh, open and inclusive, even though it was welcoming, it wasn't as big as it should be. It wasn't as mainstream. Um, It felt very transactional. It felt very much like I, it didn't feel like the community that it was 20 years ago. And so when I, what I saw was that, you know, I love this sport, but I don't feel like it's heading in the right direction. I think it actually needs some sort of um, energy reinserted into it because it's such a great thing, but it's not, didn't feel like it was heading in the right direction to me. And so, you know, here I am now as a, as an adult athlete who just likes to compete and have fun. And I'd say that I, I get to do, like I mentioned before, what I love every day. And so for me, like, yeah, people think I'm type A, but I, I am kind of, a, even though I'm from Arizona, I kind of got a West Coast laid back vibe to me. And I really feel that even though I do have stressful moments, I'm usually the one that's the calm in the storm on things because I, I do like to do a lot and accomplish a lot, but I always put uh, like my staff first, my family first. And I think that that allows me to be centered when, when, you know, the, the crap hits the fan or when something really bad happens is like, look, you know, this, the, it, this is going to pass. Right. And so, right. yes, I'm type A. Yes. I love sports. I've grown up around it, but I would say that I like to, I, I, I like to work hard and play hard. Let's put it that way. I love it. And what you mentioned a couple of things about what most of my guests have said um, and just what most people have said about this sport is that, it is community focused, it's community driven, and community is one of the main key reasons why people stay in this sport. To that point, you mentioned that you are, are you still racing? Do you yeah, still do still, some triathlons? I still mess around, yeah. So I did one last weekend. I probably, I do a lot of endurance sport. I did a 50 mile run, race, trail run um, okay. in February. So I do, I do like, I like endurance. Triathlon's my favorite sport. Um, but yeah, so I'll, I'll do, you know, a handful a year. Um, you know, I do a lot. I did the, uh, the Pikes Peak Marathon last year, which is really fun. You should do that. You, you run up a mountain, a 14er, which is, so you climb about 8,000 feet and then you have to run down it afterwards. That hurts, by the way. So I would say don't do that unless you train on mountains. But yeah, I just really like pushing myself to the limits where I think I can't go and mm-hmm. having breakthroughs. And I think that that's, that's what great. I love about endurance sport. It's community-based and you're competing against yourself. You're competing about making yourself better, whether it's an athlete, whether you're pushing yourself. And I think like just seeing how much triathlons, I'm so like every day I come into work and I get to hear about how it's changed people's lives, right? Like it's not, it's not something that's out there that like people think is like, it it is really 
changing people and improving their daily lives. It's making them better family members. It's making them better friends. It's making them healthier and live longer. We have so much value in our sport. So I would say that if I wasn't a triathlete, I'd be really worried because uh, <laughs> I think that you really need to uh, understand what athletes go through to better serve them. And that's our purpose here is to serve our community and help grow the sport. And so that, that's, to me, what's really important. I think me being an, an age group athlete allows me to better understand how to grow the sport and make it better. I appreciate your standpoint so much. It's just like the coach has to have a coach, you know, in order to grow, in order to be, um, in order to make this better. And I think I've been a triathlete for about seven years and I can see the growth and the progression that we've made as a sport. And I believe you've been a part of the USA, you've been the CEO for about seven years. And no, so luckily, luckily I'm, I'm shorter than that. I've been only for around four years, four years. Okay. But yeah. But uh, I would say this with the, with my role here, the board has been pretty consistent for mm -hmm. about eight to 10 years now. And the board really that I report up to, they, they build the philosophy and the strategy. Mm -hmm. And my job is to help influence that and then implement it. And so the board strategy and the changes that they've made have been about seven, eight years uh, deep. Right. Um, when Barry Siff and Jacqueline McCook and many people came in and decided to really think about what our actual purpose is. It's not for USA Triathlon to make money. It's not for USA Triathlon to be anything other than to help make the sport better and to serve those that we interact with, race directors, coaches, clubs, athletes. And so they had the right philosophy. And with that philosophy, they needed someone to come in and implement that philosophy. And as you can tell, probably by talking to me for a little while, it's in total alignment with my beliefs and my core values. Oh, for sure. It's not just in total alignment, but you live and you breathe it and you did it before you got here. So that makes it a seamless transition and more impactful in my eyes. Uh, but let's just get down to the nitty gritty about yes. USA Triathlon, right? We've gotten to know who you are a bit. And I'm just gonna be frank. USA Triathlon initially intimidated me. <laughs> you know, it was just like this big governing body, right? What does it mean, USA Triathlon? And I didn't have full understanding about what it was beyond paying for registration and I have to have this registration fee. For the person who's coming into this sport and having to either pay the um, one day license fee or signing up for the full year membership, how would you break down USA Triathlon and why it's so important? Yeah, so, you know, as, as a sport that's only really 45 years old, right? We're a young sport. It was made here in America, which is pretty unique, right? It was a sport that was created here in America. What the governing body initially did here for triathlon is it allowed race directors around the country who could not get insured because nobody wanted to take a risk on swim, bike, run, right, out in a community. They, they created and formed USA Tri Federation, I think at the time or something like that, mm -hmm. to help race directors out. So that was really the basis of how it was formed. But over the years, it grew into USA Triathlon. Obviously, the Olympics came on. At 2000 was the first year, but in 1994, they announced that they were going to have the Olympics. So then it changed for us. It became multifaceted. It wasn't only about helping out race directors. It was also about thinking about the athletic journey for, for everyone in our sport. And how do we increase the pipeline, the base of the sport, and grow the sport in such a way so it benefits our coaches, our clubs, our race directors, 
and by the way, the potential of somebody reaching a podium and representing America on the biggest stage. So what we do is we, the, every sport has a national federation that oversees a sport, protects it through rules, through safe sport governing, through all the things that make sure the sport lives on forever, that it doesn't have a few bad actors come in and ruin the sport, which does happen with smaller sports as they're emerging and growing. So a big part of our job is to, to grow the sport from the grassroots up, to help fund the sport in many ways. Last year, the only money that we raised, we put every dollar of it back into our coaches clubs and, and race directors to make sure they could survive through a pandemic. So we're here to serve the sport. We're here to make it better. We're not here to, uh, to, to grow our bottom line. Um, and it's really about us. It's about taking the sport and looking at every aspect of it and trying to do two things, break down barriers to allow more people in and to make sure when they join and they get in that they have opportunities to grow and become the best they can be, whether they're again, an official, a race director, an athlete, that's our job. And that's what's so exciting to me is that it's really pure because every decision I make, it's like, is it, is it in my old jobs is about how much money we made here. It's the impact we make. And I think that that's what, when people don't understand USA Troth, and of course we have, you know, member benefits and all these things to the core of it. If you want this sport to be sustainable, strong, and you want to keep seeing it grow and get better, that's what governing bodies are focused on of every sport, not just triathlon. So I didn't even know what governing bodies were. I was just like you, honestly, I was like, what does this even mean? Right. I knew that I, just like you, I knew that I had paid something. I knew actually they helped me through my journey though. So when I was on, I needed beginner resources and I went to USA triathlon 10 years ago and they had a checklist for me to bring in transition. They had all these tools that helped me. And so that's where um, a lot of people, when I, and my misunderstanding and many others, we just saw it as a, as a fee, not thinking about the long-term implications. Like nobody thinks about, or maybe they do like, you know, when, like, what does a, a athletics department do with the fee you pay them? No one's really, some people are thinking about it. What, when we explain to people that's going to scholarships for kids who wouldn't be able to go to school, they go, oh, wow. Well, we have the exact same type of thing here. We're giving scholarships to kids. We're helping people. So like that, we're, we're like college athletics, youth athletics, and pro athletics all into one. And we're protecting the sanctity of the sport and making sure that the credibility of the sport and the growth of the sport continues. That is so good. So now my question is, because there's another, I won't say official body, but what would be the difference between USA Triathlon and ITU? Yeah, so this is this is one of the fun, confusing things that I hope to clarify <laughs> here. So for every sport, there's an international federation mm. that oversees the sport around the world. And for every country, there's a national organization like the U United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee. So right, right the, where we're at is in between those two. So, you know, we, we work with the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee because they oversee all United States sport. And we also work with the ITU, which is now World Triathlon, who oversees triathlon around the world, which there are over 170 countries that compete in triathlon around the world. Really, there are the two groups that we work with to try to grow the sport, to try to, you know, allow our athletes to have their most success, whether they're in, you know, youth, a junior elite, all the way up to the games. So it's really one oversees sport in America and the other oversees a specific sport around the world. And so we, we need them both to be successful. We need one on an international level to make sure that everything's that, you know, the best practices are being done, that there are again rules. And then we need the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee there to help think through strategically how to best impact sport in America. The fortunate thing is we don't report up to either of them. Right, they're there to serve us and we're there to serve them. So it's a good reciprocal relationship, but they have two different purposes. 
Mm, that's good. I um, learned a little bit in watching the unveiling of the Team USA just recently. Uh, so for those of you who are listening to this, the USA triathlon team that will represent the United States over in Tokyo was announced on June 16th. Because uh, this podcast will come out a little bit later. But I thought it was so interesting and just hearing the after conversations about how the athletes had to perform with, I guess, the World Triathlon Organization and ITU from that perspective over there in order to qualify, it kind of all makes sense after you've explained everything. And this year being a huge year with uh, the Olympics happening this year, it makes everything kind of all come together and be so succinct in a process to understand like, what the uh, the national versus the international and how USA Triathlon plays its major role. But how does the members of USA Triathlon support the professional athletes that will be or support Team USA? Because I'm sure that's a function of this relationship as well. It is, yeah. And, and so what we've done, um, because I like to bifurcate and separate things to make it very clear, is that our elite program, high performance program is funded really through a few different places. It's funded through United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee give us a small grant. Um, And then the other way is through sponsorships and philanthropy. So corporate sponsorships and philanthropy, our membership dues go back to membership and go back to all of the things we do to grow the sport. And so when, when you think about the way that people can impact it, we have actually a fundraising campaign called Tokyo United. And that money goes directly to supporting the athletes going to the games. And that's the best way for anyone who wants to get involved to get involved and support it. But quite frankly, the the next best thing to do is to just share the story, cheer on the red, white, and blue from now all the way through the games and after, and, you know, elevate our athletes' stories. When you hear their personal stories, I mean, we have some amazing individuals and humans on our national team, you know, just uh, a few of the stories that are outside of sport, which I think are really important because we can all look up their stats and how phenomenal they are as athletes is, mm-hmm. you know, we have, you know, Kevin McDowell, who was one of our youth and junior elites and, you know, he had cancer, um, overcame leukemia, had to come back from that. And now he's an Olympian. We had, you know, amazing. Katie and, and, and uh, Zafaris and Morgan Pearson, who just, you know, Katie lost her father two months ago and Morgan lost his brother, both surprises. And, um, just what they're going to have to overcome, right, to get there. And then we have Taylor Nib, who's uh, the youngest triathlete ever to make the game. She just graduated from Cornell, and, and she's just so she's just so much fun and a joy to be around. Um, that you know, and then and then we have Summer Rappaport, who's our first athlete to compete. Who, to me, just has like the she she she's somebody that has done everything and committed her life to the sport in such a way that. When she ended up qualifying and she qualified in one of the auto qualifiers two years ago in Tokyo, Mm -hmm. to me, it really showed the story of somebody who was willing to work and put in the work to get better at the things she wasn't good at and became best in the world. And so we just have these these individuals that are so easy to follow, so easy to cheer for. So what I ask anyone is just to elevate their platforms, make them the stars that we know they should be with how much work they put into it and how good of representatives they'll be for our country and our sport. That's amazing. And um, when I heard about Kevin's story, I sat there, I was actually doing my hair because, you know, this is what real, you know, athletes do. I come from the swimming pool earlier today and I was blowing out my hair because I had to look good for Rocky, right? I couldn't have like my hair all over the place. (laughs) And I uh, was doing my hair and I heard his story and I said, wow, what an amazing story of overcoming. Like he actually was competing while 
undergoing cancer treatments like that is phenomenal. And I uh, just literally this morning um, spoke about overcoming and not stopping because when you are faced with opposition, that is a direct target to stop you from seeing the promises that you are supposed to. And to see Katie and Morgan who experienced losses this year, you know, I resonate with that because I recently lost my brother this year about almost two and a half months ago. And I almost didn't do this podcast. And I was like, I don't have the time. I don't have the capacity. And I said, no, yes, you do. Just restructure, take your time, do a little bit each week and make it happen. Because as triathletes, hence the endurance part of it, we are built to endure, period. Exactly. And I, and I found that it's so, just like you're saying, translatable to life, right? And that when you are sport, you know, you have to overcome a lot throughout it. And, and again, this is on a micro level compared to family members dying and other things. But, you right. know, you, there's so, so many times that you didn't want to go to that pool in the morning. In the middle, in the middle of the bike, you know, you're in, in a big race, you know, you're, you're, you're grinding out the gears going, I can't finish this, but you do, right? And I exactly. think that what, what I've seen, and I always tell people this, that the training is where I do my racing because if I train and I get through the, and I overcome in training, I know I'm going to be able to do it in the race because I've done it in training. It's the same way. I feel like, again, not to get too deep or philosophical, but in life, right. Is like you have all these micro, these little issues that happen every day. And it's how you respond to them is when the big issue happens, like what happened with your brother. And that is how you respond in the big issues. And so like you have to, every day is about training and doing the right thing and overcoming all the small issues and not let, letting them stop you, not letting them stop your momentum, not letting them stop you from reaching your goals. And I think, I mean, like, look at somebody like Morgan Pearson, right? He, he started in our sport two years ago. He's not somebody who's been in our sport for seven, eight years. He has two years of training. He started, his first race was September of 17. It was in, it was in our national championship. He didn't get an IT racing until 2018 and he had two years and then COVID. Right. And he's, you know, uh, his brother passes away in the first race. It's our qualifier. He gets he medals and he gets the American spot and he used that as motivation, his brother. But the reason why I believe is not because, you know, uh, of that situation. I think Morgan over his life has trained himself to push through the pain to reach the ultimate goal. And that race was just, it was very inspirational to me personally. And something that I think that when you, when you look at athletes and I, and I saw this in pro sports a lot, you know, they seem like they're superhuman and they're, they're, they're special and they are athletically, but they're just like us. Uh, they hurt like us. They, they have emotions. They're insecure like we are. And so I, I would always say that, you know, when, it, especially pro sports, I think people know this about our athletes because they're just such good people and everyone can see that pretty clearly. We're always, always give them the benefit of the doubt because yeah. they're just like us. They just happen to have a platform. They happen to be really good at something, you know? And so I'd say that what, what so inspired me about Morgan's race and, and what he did and what others have done is um, you can tell that they've, in their lives, they've overcome a lot of little things. And then when the big thing came, he responded brilliantly. And I think that, that I, I learned a lot from that. And because I'm somebody who knows I don't know everything and or I know I know what I know, which is not everything, right? And right. so I just try to learn so much. And that's something I picked up. And I remember, you know, a few days after that, I had a I had a personal issue that came up that was really bad to me. And I just put put it all into context and perspective and said, look, 
this is one of those small moments. Like, it, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to embrace the pain and move through it. And I, and I really feel like that's why our sport's so much fun to be around because it, it, it is so much more than sport. It's so much yeah. more than me going out for my runs. Um, it, 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 so I think that meaning is why people who really like you get involved in our sport, sometimes they get all in and they're like, I, I, I found something here. I found a sense of purpose outside of whatever I have in the rest of my life that makes me feel something like really good. And I want more of that. It's like a drug. I want more. It's a healthy, healthy drug. <laughs> Very healthy drug. And I think I took a, a lot of that drug uh, during my first taste of this in 2009 uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. And I attribute a lot to the opportunity of being asked to do a relay and getting there and being so naive of not knowing anything that was happening. And I'm like, these people are running and they're biking and, you know, all this great stuff. And I said, okay, I want to one day do this. Move to DC. I get involved in a tri club and I didn't know what I was doing, but I finished the race. And after I finished the race, I said, I want to do another one. And then I want to do another one. And it just became this drug that I now am going after my first Ironman. And I tell anyone who's listening to this, we talked about, these athletes who are overcoming, if you have it in you a desire to do this sport, try it, literally, <laughs> unintended. Try it because you never know how it's gonna change your life. And I will say to your point, Rocky, this sport has definitely changed my, I believe, trajectory. I went to school for one thing, I am modeling, doing what I love, but I have this passion for this sport and to see people come into it and to see it grow. And just like you being bit by that, um, being bit by the bug, it hit me as well. And you want to see people get out here and hence why this podcast is available so that you can hear the stories and to hear that you're not alone. And there's other people who are uh, trying with you and who have struggled and overcome and they are still here to talk about it and they're still going to the finish line and celebrating that success. I, I just want to chime in. Yeah, you yeah, bring sure. up so many good points. And I think for the beginners out there that if you can swim across a pool and you can ride a bike and you can walk, you can do a triathlon. You just have to find the right one, but you can do it. My mom who has, uh, she's uh, in remission from cancer she had two of her knees replaced this year. Oh, wow. She did a virtual triathlon um, this year and she had walked the walk. She had a backstroke to swim and she's a good cyclist. So she rode a, rode a bike and she finished a triathlon virtually, right? But she's a triathlete. And so I would say we have over 30 training plans that are free for our members to help you through it. We can connect people to coaches. And I would say the very first step I always say to new triathletes is find a friend. Find a friend who's a triathlete. They're gonna, this is the great thing about our community. We're like the biggest advocates for our sport. So we loan bikes, we loan helm. We'll do whatever we can to make someone feel like they're involved and included. And then I would say, if you can join, join a club, that's, that will be your community. That'll be your local community on those days you don't wanna get up. They're the ones who will encourage you to get up and support you. And when you go to your first triathlon, if you go with either that buddy or a club, you are gonna have a support system around you and you're gonna, to me, that is the most special part of our sport is the support that everybody feels that they have to give to each other, right? And, and I think that like, that's what, that's what attracted me to it outside of the competitive side of it is that I felt like I, it was really weird when I walked up and like people were wearing all these weird gear and like all that, I didn't quite get it. Yeah. And then I just saw 
how open and friendly and welcoming and how much people loved doing what they were doing. And I just fell in love with all these quirky people. And then I became one of the quirky people. And then, you know, and, and then now uh, as, as we're seeing, you know, the sport growing and other things that it's really good to see that we're starting to get people into our sport now that don't look like the athletes that came into the sport 20 years ago. They're starting to reflect more of what America looks like, whether it's somebody who's overweight or a person of color or a person with disabilities or adaptive athletes. It's, it's, it's really the inclusive nature of our sport. We're not a diverse sport, but we're a very inclusive sport. And, and the inclusiveness of our sport is what's gonna help it grow. It's the people that are gonna help it grow by being so welcoming. And that's what I found with the sport and I continue to see every day. Well, I'm glad I represent two of those uh, categories of the overweight and the person of color. So come on, woo! <laughs> I feel like I am doing my part in contributing to the sport. <laughs> I mean, come on, you gotta make jokes, right? Like, I, and it's helped me to stay healthy. Like I went to the doctor and they, uh, the lady was like, something's wrong with her heart. Something's wrong with her heart. And the doctor checked it. He was like, she has the heart of a of an athlete. And I said, yeah, I got a heart <laughs> of an athlete. So no, it, it does. Like, you're right. You know, to see people who look like you, it's also encouragement. And uh, I am just grateful that you're in the position that you're in and to see this sport grow and to have the heart that you have to see it grow. So this is a random question that I have. I like that. What, okay. What Fire is away. the history of the cowbell? Yeah, that's just a cheering thing. And it might, you know, where it may come from, and I don't know, I was on the board at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society when my mom had cancer. I was like trying to get involved and figure out what I could do to help. So I did team and training mm -hmm. and I, I don't know where it begins. Now, now I'm, I'm really interested. Someone's got to find this. Out. I'm going to Google it real quick. But I would, honestly, every race I remember for the last 20 years, it was leukemia, the team and training, ringing those bells uh, with the purple, getting everyone excited. I'm sure it predates that though. It's probably like the Chicago Marathon back in 1978 or something. But you know, <laughs> who knows? I would, can you Google that? I want to. I want to know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm everyone, all, all of your listeners are googling right now to figure out what it is. <laughs> By the way, that's you know, I'm a parent of three little girls. I'm a dad of three little girls, and they think I'm the smartest person in the world. But you know, I just have fast fingers. Yeah. <laughs> I can well, um, anything. as I continue from? to find it, I think it's so cool to just you know talk about your mom and her overcoming. Uh, her battle with cancer, two knee replacements, to do a virtual triathlon, virtual triathlon, and like, how does it feel now? Does she still participate? Is she still like walking? Is she still swimming? Is she still biking? Yeah, so she she bikes. She went from not being be limping the three miles she had to do just to get through it to uh, now she walks three to four miles a day. So she doesn't run; she walks. Okay. And on the day she doesn't, she bikes. And actually, she's in town visiting me. We haven't seen, you know, family in a long time, right, because of COVID. And it's really neat. Every morning she's going out and walking. And I haven't seen her do that in 20 years. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think that while, yes, her knees helped, I think that that inspired her to, to get active. And, mm -hmm. and for me, that's more important than how much our membership grows or even is that if we get more people to move, and, 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 you know, and start moving every day and being healthy. I mean, with the, you know, the youth sport now and, and PE and everything being underfunded and kids, especially from underserved communities, not getting access to sport, like our sport of, uh, you know, 
running around your neighborhood, maybe riding your bike. And if you got access to a pool, jumping into a pool is what every kid does every day during the summer for fun. And what we have to do is keep it fun for kids. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and I saw that with my mom, she thought the virtual triathlon was fun and she yeah. wanted to do something really, she was really um, stressed as a mom would be about our, our organization last year because we were struggling, right? Like every organization, we're event-based, very yeah. tough year for us. So I think she did it as a way to support us too, to like show that she's doing her part. Yeah, but it, you know, like those things, these are the things that, again, when I worked in pro sports, it was about flipping tickets and selling yeah. sponsorships. Like this is real stuff, right? This is, and this is, this is just my story. I mean, this is like, everybody has this in the sport. And for me, especially, I mean, I know that it, it impacted me directly is, you know, when I, when I joined USA Triathlon, I read an article about, you know, the, uh, or I started seeing with fatalities in the sport, it's usually heart conditions that are unknown. Mm-hmm. And so I went and got after uh, I did a, a long rate trail run two years ago. And afterwards, my, my at the last seven miles or so, my my chest started tightening up. So I went to a cardiologist to see what was going on. And they ran tests and me like, you are in perfect health. What are you talking about? Low heart rate, low, air. every test come back. I'm like, no, I don't, I, I know my body. And I, I was told I should come in here and try to get a, you know, an echocardiogram or something that would like deeper than just a, like you looking at me and like, we're not going to do that. So I, through USA triathlon, through me knowing through our meds, doctors and everything, they said, fight for that, get it done. So I did. And they found out that I do have, you know, uh, a blockage in my car, uh, coronary arteries oh, that wow. I do have heart. So I, I, I monitor and everything's fine, but it, it all for everybody, there are things that you find out through the sport and they're, and there, for me personally, there's a lot, but when I talk to anybody, there are all these like six degrees of separation or whatever it is of issues that their family had. My, my dad had diet. I say, this isn't me, but people say my dad had diabetes. I was on that track. I don't, I'm not even on track anymore because of this. Yeah. So that's just like, we could have a lot of fun uh, at helping people get healthy. I love it. And just for those of you who are listening, who have parents, tell them to come watch you. Let them get inspired by seeing people who may be their age or older. And this truly is a sport where you can try until you die. I mean, it sounds weird, but it rhymes and I like it. And (laughs) it's like, you can try just, you know, I think there's the nun who's still, you know, wearing her full Uh uniform and she's 91-ish years of age. So we have to just continue to just push ourselves. And uh, if we want to see ourselves and have a healthy future. Um, I did do some history, and I don't know if this is fact because it's not. Is it about cowbells? I don't know anything about cowbells. It's about cowbells. It says, actually, it was started back at the first Ironman back in Hawaii. Dave Orlowski, uh, the original Ironman finisher, a dairy farmer who provided fine milk to big cheese plants outside of Madison, uh, was originally a Wisconsin resident. He made a long, adventurous journey to Kona to participate in this strange race. And... um, he uh, managed to get through all of the sport and they said that's kind of how it started. So wow. I don't know if that's true. And it says um, often a distance of familiar ringing. Um, so we should see, I'm gonna do more research on it and I'll cool. hopefully by I, the I'll time just, this- You can just call like Bob Abbott or one of the historians of the sport or Tim Yonta on my staff, they'll know. <laughs> okay, I'll be sure to check that out because I, I think that's, that's cool. interesting because everybody has a cowbell and they're so excited to have the cowbells. And now it's about who has the biggest cowbell. So here <laughs> we go. You're right though about getting family involved. And so here's here's something that's really cool. So my wife, you know, does triathlons too. And so my uh-huh. oldest daughter, um, about two years ago, when my wife did a triathlon. All my kids went, we watched my wife do her triathlon. 
Mm-hmm. And right afterwards, I'm not kidding. She finished, she finished the race. My oldest daughter said, I want to do that. Oh, I wow. want to do that. Right. And so it does. And it's inspired at the time. My daughter's 10 now. I think she was eight. And then, then that year she did the youth and junior national championship. Right. And she did. And it does it. it um, while they're there to cheer for you, they also see themselves through you. And a lot of people know they may not be able to do it or in their mind. Um, and, and our jobs are to convince them that uh, the perception of triathlon is not the reality, mm-hmm. that you don't have to do 12 hour races. You can do a pool triathlon. You can do uh, all different types of events that are conducive to beginners. And yeah. so just don't get overwhelmed by the long distance races like you're doing this year, which is awesome. Um, you know, just fo- like, again, get involved, even if you're just walking around your neighborhood and riding your bike, that's good enough for me right now. Come on. That, and that's just perfect. Let's talk about sanctioned versus unsanctioned events, because I think a beginner needs to know mm-hmm. what does that mean? And should they do an unsanctioned event or should they just strictly try to focus and stay with sanctioned events? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, when it comes to sanctioned events, it's a matter of uh, safety and, and credibility and making sure that they're not cutting any corners. So we, have, we, we overview this, the safety protocols, making sure they have enough lifeguards, making sure they have safety personnel, making sure they have medical. So if something goes wrong, and by the way, we ensure you as the athlete. So you're insured. If you get injured, if you forgot, if something really bad happens, we got you covered. And we also cover the race director. So I guess if as a beginner, I think it's more important than it is even as you advance through the sport. I think as you advance through, people want to uh, participate in sanctioned events because of the credibility of the rules, because of the national rankings, because of qualifying for big events. But really for beginners, it's about uh, do you want to do your first race with a race director who's willing to cut corners and not take the extra step to make sure they have an A-level race? So are there great unsanctioned races out there? Absolutely. There are, but you have to find them where you know if you do a USA triathlon race, it's at a certain level, there are certain standards and it's going to be done right. And by the way, if something goes wrong there and you're unhappy, you come to us. You don't go to a small business owner who has the motivation of making as much money as possible. You come to us and we have your best interest in mind to make sure you're taken care of. So it's just a matter of how secure they feel about wanting to do races that have no oversight, no governance, nothing, just an entrepreneur throwing a race in the middle of a city. And I think that that's up to the comfort level of each athlete. For me, I've always, from the very beginning, wanted to race the best races, the highest quality and the safest races. And so it was, it was an easy decision for me. The issue I think for us is that we haven't done a good enough job uh, communicating the value of sanctioned races. We're focused on that in a big way. And that, that will really help our race directors who are unwilling to cut corners, who want to do everything the right way to show why it's so important for them um, to sanction with us. And, you know, the good news is, is that the race director community totally believes in us because they know that we're focused on them and their success. And we want them, the, the more successful race directors are, the better our sport is. If they're running really solid races, the, 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 when our sport really saw issues, it was when a bunch of new players came in uh, because they saw dollar signs and they came in and they started cutting, again, cutting corners, doing things sloppy, creating races that weren't uh, well run, that weren't operated. And our really strong sanctioned race directors and certified race directors were doing things the right way and it was hurting their business. And, and it ended up hurting their business, not just because they took away a few customers, it hurt their business because people left the sport when they had a bad experience. 
And we saw when we did surveys when I got here about why people left the sport, it was mostly because of a bad experience at a race. And so now we're seeing that the cream of the crop rose to the top and the best race directors, they're one still in business. And we're in really good shape now as a sport because we have the, we have the best event producers in the world and not just in triathlon in the world running races here in America. I would have to second that. And I don't even know all of the race directors, but I can see the pictures and I on the East coast over here, we have some pretty darn good uh, race directors and I absolutely love racing their races. So kudos to what you guys are doing to make sure that us, the athlete, as well as the race directors are safe, because I'm sure you guys have run into issues and then, you know, just that one day fee, even though it's $15 is worth it when you have say a bill that's, four or $5,000. So be- and you've heard it here first. Let me tell you this. So this is something we're releasing in the next few months. We're doing away with the one day fee oh. and we're creating a 30 day membership for the exact same price of $15. So you can race in. So this is the reason why is after you do your first race, the retention for athletes and staying in our sport, if they do that second race within a month goes up beyond the percentages that you can even equate in terms of statistics, right? Or data analysis. So we're really, and that also helps race directors. It helps race directors get an athlete to maybe package their races within a month and get an athlete to kind of do two races together. And so it's really, so that's going to help uh, our athletes. That's going to help our race director community. And again, we made the decision not for our bottom line. We made it because we felt like it was the best thing to do for the sport. I love it because when I was one of those athletes who bought that little one-time fee, just every one, yeah. it gets expensive. Yeah. So that is definitely uh, the way to go. And I fully support it. Not that you needed my approval. So, so, so let's say this though, like spend the, <laughs> spend the $4 and 20 cents a month, right. To be an right. annual member. And we just did this deal with outside, which owns triathlete magazine where they have a $50 membership to get the app full access pass to triathlete magazine, to get all this, you know, subscription, the magazine to get behind the scenes content. And mm-hmm. they're giving that to free for free to every annual member. So you're, you're getting the content you need um, from them because they're the best in the business. And then you're getting all the benefits of being a member of ours at, at the same time. So that's to me the, the, the best value. And, and um, that's why we're so confident in the value of our annual memberships that we're willing to do something like a 30-day membership and not worry about the impact it has. And you get extra discounts and extra magazine subscriptions. So it's a win. (laughs) It is totally a win. (laughs) So I want to ask this question for those who like, um, I think it's Mason. Uh, Let me, if I can remember his name, Uh, Morgan, Morgan. Morgan, who uh, just joined the sport and immediately now is an Olympian, right? Well, it's going to the Olympics. How would a beginner who is just a super athlete, when there's talking about age group nationals, worlds, things of that nature, and you see people at normal uh, triathlons wearing the Team USA jersey, can you talk about how they can get that Team USA jersey and how do they qualify for that, you know, Team USA? Yeah, so one one thing, and I'll, I'll talk about the qualification in just a second. I want to take it back a step, though, because we're... USA triathlon, but we also oversee all multi-sport, right? So that's swim, run, you know, as our quathlon, aqua bike, which is swim uh, bike, right? We, we oversee duathlon, which is run, bike, run, right? So we, we oversee all, all the disciplines, all the formats that comprise of the disciplines of our sport. And so the, the really, the really neat thing is that we, there's world championships and national championships for all of our disciplines. 
And so while um, USA Triathlon for the age group nationals, which is triathlon, you do have to qualify for that one through local races. So you have to, you know, finish in like the top 30% of the race of your age group. It's like all these different formulas that we have to get you there, but then you compete in nationals and then the top uh, group of athletes who compete at nationals qualify for worlds. For duathlon nationals and our multi-sport nationals, you don't have to qualify to get in. You can just go race them. And so, and so you again can qualify through our national championship by finishing at the top of your age group, you know, uh, the, the, uh, at a certain percentage, and then you get to go to worlds. And so, and world championships are again all over the world. So that's really, you know, for the and we. So what we added this year at age group or last two years ago at age group nationals is an open water swim, and then also an open division. So you can go there and compete. You won't be on the national, you won't actually be able to get points for the national championship to become a world champion, but you do get to compete in the national. So all of our national championships have an open something for athletes, uh, whether you have experience or not to compete in. And so that, that's how it works. And we govern all the national championships here in America. We only run uh, three of them. The rest of them race directors around the country run. Mm -hmm. um, but it's been, it's been a lot of fun for me to see at those national championships, you know, you have the, the iron nun, like you talk about, you have people in their nineties, you have younger people. It's like, it's an eclectic group, but some phenomenal athletes. So I'd say this year it's in Milwaukee. And so here in Milwaukee, it was in Milwaukee six, seven years ago. And everybody talks about, you know, Milwaukee as being the best place ever for a triathlon. It was the most amazing age group nationals. So we brought it back by popular demand. Wow. And we sold it out so quickly. And it was because our athletes, not only the pandemic and coming off it went into race, but they remember how great that experience was. So we try to, we try to listen to our audience and see where they want to race and what they want to do. And, um, and if, if they open up more slots, this the Milwaukee allows us to, we'll have the biggest age group nationals in our history this year. Well, come on, Milwaukee, what are you waiting for? Open up those uh, slots so we can get people in there. Come on, that's let's right, make some right. history. Well, wow. Is there anything else? Um, I don't want to go and ask you so many things because I want to have an opportunity to have you back for the second season of this podcast. But what uh, do you want to leave the athlete with before I get into the fun part of this segment? Oh, good. I like that. It's going to be a fun part. Um, I just say that yeah, when you interact with USA Triathlon, uh, give us the benefit of the doubt because we have, you know, I have about 45, 50 staff members here who are, are good people who want to do what's right for the sport. And we don't have the resources of these huge governing bodies, but we're trying to do everything we can to serve you and serve our sport and make it better. So always think when, if you think we're doing something crazy, just reach out to me and I'll either explain why maybe we are doing something crazy, but probably not. And that we, there's probably a reason why we did what we did, even if it doesn't seem perfect. So just know that we're here to serve you. We're here to make the sport better. And when, again, when I talked about that annual membership, um, while there are benefits and all that, what's most important is that's going right back to helping the sport get better and grow. Um, and, and so, um, and, and you can always reach out to me directly. And I, and I do this and I'd never regret it, by the way, even when somebody sends me a really fun emotional email um, it's rocky.harris at usatriathlon.org. If you have any questions, comments, send it to me and I will respond. I don't have some bot responding for me. I respond. <laughs> he does respond because when I sent the email, I was so scared. I was like, he's not going to get this. 
you responded the very next day and I was like floored, like, oh my gosh, he said yes. So he does respond and that's rocky.harris at usatriathlon.org. Yes, yep. All right. feel free to reach out to me on any topic. If I can't answer it, I'll find someone who can. Well, you heard it there from the man. Reach out to him if you have good quality, awesome, nice comments to share. Yeah, I can't even <laughs> deal with constructive criticism. I'm a big boy. <laughs> See, I was trying to be kind and be I like, know, don't you're send helping him me stuff. out, but I just want to be totally open and transparent. You know, that's I, I'm okay with it. Yeah. I appreciate that. We're not perfect, but we try. That was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Okay, so here's the fun part. So I have some very quick uh rapid fire questions to ask you uh that just i'm not very witty so this could go bad if that's if i have to be funny i'm not it's not gonna work for me (laughs) if it's like direct questions i just answer i can do that but you know if it's supposed to be like me being funny or humorous or entertaining it's an outside shot that's happening (laughs) well look see here's where we're about to overcome what we talked about earlier overcoming this i'm gonna fight through this all right what's your uh favorite leg of the race and why run um because i'm a bad swimmer um i was i'm a i'm a pretty good cyclist and for my age group i'm a pretty good i'm a best a better runner so i like catching people it's fun to track people down my i would you know it's like pac-man right you're chasing down that yeah so that's that's how i feel and so i love it um i i like getting through the swim too getting through it i like finishing it <laughs> i love it i love and my it. dad by i know this is quick but my dad was a college swimmer and my my grandfather on my mom's side was a college swimmer i always say this and i got none of their genes like i don't know what my where my genes came from it didn't come from them <laughs> well you got the legs to catch people down so you got something out of that yeah there you go <laughs> um ah mm. audiobook podcast music or silence when you run Music or silence. Um, I did podcasts when I was doing long training, um, but I found that my mind would get so distracted because I'm a thinker that I would. I, so in, in dedicated runs where I have to work out, I, do not, I don't put music on or anything. I'm focused on, you know, whatever I need to do during the set within the run that I need to to do well. When it comes to like longer runs where I might have some hard moments, I love music because music pushes you through. Right? Oh, yeah. It gets you through, it distracts you. And I like podcasts on like the long, slow runs where you're just chugging along because mm-hmm. you can distract your mind for a long time and you can really think. But I can't do that when I have a dedicated set. Yeah, I can understand that. Uh, favorite music artist? Oh, wow. Um, it's pr- probably like more genre and time based in my life. Uh, so let me think here. What's more recent? Um, Kind of thing. I, I'm, I, all I'm thinking is all the songs, all the artists my my daughters like me to listen to. That's what I mostly. Is. We have a we have a family uh, uh, playlist, and it's mostly like Taylor Swift, um, Kelly day. Clarkson, and like you know that that whole genre, which wasn't like my you know first choice, but like that. Um, yeah. So I think that if I like, I like uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers from back in the day when I was younger. I grew up on hip hop and rap um, because that was what, like, that was my generation. I grew up on it. Um, And now I've liked a lot of like, and this sounds really odd. So it sounds like I'm very eclectic, which I am. I like kind of, I like country now too. And so actually the reason why I, the reason why I think I've always been attracted to hip hop and rap and now country is, and I heard this from somebody really smart one time. I can't remember who I wish I could, but those are the two genres of music where they speak from the heart. And they yeah. actually talk about what's really happening, either 
you know, in their communities, uh, in their lives, or in relationships, or, but it's real. And pop music and a lot of the other music, which I love, it's great to listen to. I listen to pop music all the time, but it doesn't move me, right? It doesn't mm -hmm. make me feel anything. It just kind of, it's nice. It's good. It's like entertaining. So I, I think that's why, at least that's my hypothesis and why I'm attracted to those two genres, you know, on separate ends of the spectrum, because they do speak, they, they speak real talk. And it's, so, you know, so. I'm curious, what's your favorite rapper hip hop group? So I grew, I mean, I, if I, if I'm going back to like when I was, it was like Tribe Called Quest growing yes! up like oh. that, like that whole, like, but then I went through like this phase where it was like a lot of the like really negative, like hardcore rap, um, because that was like how it was. Like that was just what you listened to. It was like Too Short, Easy e Dr. Dre, like that whole, that whole grouping, which mm -hmm. now when I look back and Snoop and all, you know, it's really funny that I was listening to that. I, I, I wouldn't, like, I can't imagine, like, the, just, it, it's pretty raw. Let's put it that way. And then I remember, um, actually, uh, it's pretty, uh, so, you know, and I, I, not as much anymore, but there was, like, a Kanye era there for me a while. I, like, outcast, like, all, all like, like, all, like, pretty much when it came to, I went to an inner city high school where it was, like, 33% uh, black, 33% white, 33% Hispanic. And so we just all, like, the music was just part of, like, the culture right there. And yeah. I was always, a tr I was actually in a hip hop dance group as a kid, if you can believe it. Yeah. Oh, this is getting better. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was the, uh, yeah, I was, I was definitely not the best in it, but I, I loved it, so. So at one point, we'll have to get you to do a routine for us. So just be prepping for that. Uh, get ready. I can just still do the running man. I can still do the Roger Rabbit, bring out the Bart Simpson. If you want some, uh, uh, what was it? What was it called? Uh, a kid and play? Yeah, kid and the kid play. And play. Oh yeah, man, so this is I can do all that. Yeah, I, I, I can. I, and actually, my family makes fun of me because I I'm old, but I still dance. <laughs> I love it. I love dancing. Uh, time. Yeah, music, okay. music, and dancing that that moves people, right? That's something. It does. That, yeah, so it it's, does. It's, yeah, it's part of my life. I'm I'm a terrible musician, terrible singer. But if you ask anyone, I sing more than anybody, and I don't care. I own it. I know that my voice is terrible. I don't care. Um, I I, when I'm inspired by music, I'm going to sing, I'm going to dance. I don't care. I don't care who's around. I don't care who's watching. I love it. Okay. Favorite post-workout food? Ooh, uh, let me think here. It used to be chocolate milk because um, it was like that, that was a recovery drink, but it just was so good. Yeah. I think I just like, um, let me think here, trying try to think more recent what I've been into. Um, Post work. I mean, I'm just an eater. My whole life's around food. Like when I'm when I'm eating my breakfast, I'm thinking about what I'm actually before I eat my breakfast. I have to think about what I'm having for lunch to make sure my breakfast isn't going to mess with my lunch. Um, I usually am like by middle of the day, I'm thinking about dinner already. So I think it's what I what I what, what the other day when I was I, I was on a hard run and all I was thinking about was having uh, ice cream afterwards. Um, it's, I don't like, I'm not, I, I like ice cream, whatever. So I ate a, a big bowl of ice cream. That's pretty atypical though. I think for me, it's just like, I just like real food. I'm, I like natural. I like, like real, like now I'm, I, because of my heart issue, I got it. I became more of a plant-based athlete. Mm -hmm. So I do, I do a lot, but you know, you can't, it's eating a salad after hard workout isn't exactly fun. So I got to find other. Yeah. So I don't really like, I mean, there's not one type of food out there. There's always been throughout my life. Like when I was a kid, I loved eating for some reason, Taco Bell. I know it sounds really odd. And I think it related more to the crushed ice in their sodas there. Cause I was, Arizona was hot where I grew up. Yeah. So, but yeah, I'd eat T-Bell. Um, yeah, nothing right now. And then I gotta get, I gotta get on my food game. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> now that I've gotten plant-based food, you know, food's different to me now. Okay. I have two more questions to ask. And one that, you know, so I have two more questions to ask. Yeah. When you're on the bike, 
do you stop to use the bathroom or do you pee on the bike? You gotta pee. Yes. And, yeah, I think I think so. When I'm riding out in my, you know, like the like where I live, it's I always pee on the sides. It doesn't matter in a race. You be, you better empty that bladder before the race, all right, or in the water. But if you're on the bike, you don't stop. That you just yeah. don't stop. All right. Period. I, I, love I know it. it's really weird, and we're talking to beginners, so like, don't worry. So when I was in, I did a marathon long time ago, uh, and right in the middle of it, I had some bad issues. Let's just put it that way, right? And so there are times where you have to stop. And in that time, stop. Yeah. If you got some stomach issues, if you got some GI issues, stop. If it's and just you know, a little pee, don't worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll know what those issues are when it gets there. So just be yeah, aware. Exactly. I'm not going to ruin everyone's day on the podcast by talking about it. <laughs> and my final question, are you a transition minimalist? Meaning you just, you, you have what you need. It's clean. It's neat. Are you a Goldilocks? Everything is just right. Or are you a kitchen sink? I need everything and then I'll figure it out. Yeah, so when I when I first started, I was a kitchen sink because mm -hmm. um, I just didn't want to make a mistake and miss anything. And I would say still when I do lo longer distance races, I like to bring more and pack more than I need to. On mm -hmm. short distance, which is what I love. I love doing fast races that are short. I bring nothing almost. And I oh. my transitions are like 30 seconds. Like they're, they're, they're fast because I, I've seen myself lose races because I'm, you know, messing around in the transition. But in long races, I, I, I live for the transition. I'm going to go eat that peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I'm going to, so it just depends on the race, on how competitive I feel. But I think it's really important, especially as you start out, to, to bring more than you need. Um, even though you feel silly bringing a big duffel bag into transition, you're going to find that everybody in there is going to help you anyways. And, every, and, it, and even if you miss something, the great thing is just go ask a triathlete. Say, hey, you know what? I didn't bring this. I guarantee someone's going to raise their hand and say, I got one. I'll get it for you. It's just the way we are. So even if you forget something, don't worry. It's not the end of the day. At my first triathlon, I didn't bring the swim cap they gave me at, uh, you know, when I checked in. Because I was like, what is this thing? I already have my own swim cap. So I just wore my own swim cap. to the. I didn't bring it with me. I left it at the hotel. And so I showed up in like a goofy, it actually went over my ears. I'm not kidding. I still have a photo of it. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and everyone else is wearing like their age group swim caps. And I'm over here wearing like, you know, Grandpa Jones one over here with like, the, and so, yeah, so you can make mistakes like that and that's okay. And guess what? Everybody welcomed me in and kind of said, what's going on? I said, it's my first time. And then everybody said, how can I help? <laughs> I love that. So you said something and I wanted to ask, I was going to be, well, what's the longest distance triathlon you've competed in? Yeah, so I, uh, 70 point threes. And that's, that's, I, that's my preferred distance when I, okay. and I think it's more for me, um, somewhat psychological, because when I was training for Ironman Arizona, in 2014, I was on my I was about I was on my last long, uh, I did my a long ride at 85 mile ride. Uh, this is about a month before the race. Uh, maybe it's six weeks before the race. And then I did a 15 mile run afterwards. And I was beat. I worked at ASU at the time and I had a football game that night. And I couldn't sleep very well because it was like football game. I worked hard. I worked out hard that day. So I woke up early and went on a bike ride and I flipped my bike going 25 miles an hour down a hill. And I broke, I, I, I had a grade five clavicle separation. Got like, and I was out, I was my shoulder, I was messed up for a long time. And I was like peaking for this Ironman race. And so after that, uh, I was like, if I'm going to commit to that again, I can't be working. Like I, so for me, it was more about not being, 
I couldn't fully commit to that because back then I was working a crazy amount of hours and I had two little girls, like ba like baby little mm -hmm. girls, right? And I, and I remember I woke up myself and said, you're trying to do too much. So my wife and I always say, yeah, we'll do one once the kids get a little older. And I think they're starting to get old enough now to where the excuse is no longer there. <laughs> well, that is so good. And uh, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on Try Beginner's Luck. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your answers. I appreciate you breaking down what is USAT and how USAT is helping to further uh, the sport. And you've heard it here. You heard it from the man himself, the CEO of USA Triathlon, right here on Try Beginner's Luck. Whenever you try Beginner's Luck, you always win. This is out for Mashonda. Thank you so much. And until next episode, keep trying. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode. We need your help so we can continue to try at TBL. So for more information on where you can find and subscribe to this podcast, visit www.trybeginnersluck.com. And don't forget, whenever you try beginner's luck, you always win.